the past few years for, for different reasons, but there has been a bit of a reckoning, I guess, maybe with Canada's past, to what extent Canada has been a racist country in the past, and the question of whether Canada still is to any degree. I don't think anybody denies that there is racism that exists. But is Canada structurally, systemically racist? Like, what does that even mean and how do we go about measuring that? Like that, that's, that's a big accusation to level. And, and if it's true, uh, then it's something that we would need to address. It's often stated that Canada is systemically racist. But again, how would we go about knowing that or proving that? Well, it's a new study out from the Aristotle Foundation for Public Policy that attempts to do just that, offer a fact-based analysis on that specific claim. So joining us to talk more about it is the author uh, of this piece. You can read at AristotleFoundation.org. Matthew Lau is an analyst uh, with the Aristotle Foundation for Public Policy and joins us on the line here this afternoon. Matthew, good to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, we appreciate making some time for us here today. So, I mean, let's start with the, the concept here of what it is we're talking about. If we, we're going to, to measure whether something exists, we need to sort of understand what it means. Uh, it is, what, what do you take systemic racism to mean, first of all? Right. So I think it's a very important distinction between racism, which I think everybody knows exists to some extent, and systemic racism or institutional racism. And the definition that I use is I just um, go off the federal government's definition, which is patterns of behavior, policies, or practices that are part of the social or administrative structures of an organization, which create or uh, perpetuate a position of disadvantage for racialized persons or minorities. Um, so that's, that's the, the working definition of systemic racism I use. And in this most recent study, I uh, pulled data from Statistics Canada and other sources to try to see um, in Canada, is it the case that um, white people who are the majority have uh, advantages or systemic advantages over visible minorities? Right. So in answering that question, where would you go looking for answers? Well, one place we might look is the, uh, the statistics on income. Now, if uh, systemic racism was widespread in Canada, uh, we would expect to see white people having discriminatory power and advantages at the top of the economic ladder. Um, so we looked at Statistics Canada. They published data based on the 2016 census of Canadian-born men and women from 10 different visible minority groups and compared them against the average earnings of uh, the white population. And what we find is that uh, both the, uh, uh, men and women have a lot of minority groups, for example, Japanese, Korean, South Asian, and Chinese, um, Canadian-born men and women have higher average weekly earnings than the white population, which is not at all what you would expect um, if, if white people had a, a systemic advantage uh, over minority groups. Right. So in, in, in answering the question of, you know, the extent to which Canada might be a systemic racist country, so how powerful is that evidence in your view then? How, how telling is it that you would see those kinds of numbers when it comes to, to earnings? Well, I think it, it's, um, 
it is quite fatal to the argument that white people, uh, you know, have power over minorities or systemically oppressed minorities. If you see minority groups or, or uh, many minority groups having higher incomes than the white population on average. Mm-hmm. And you can see it in, in many other um, statistics as well. Another one we look at is um, educational attainment in Canada and the, the groups in Canada that have the highest proportion of their population with the bachelor's degree or higher are Korean, Chinese, and South Asian. Now, if we're a group that oppresses minorities or, or a society that you know, holds down minorities, how can it be that, that the most educated um, populations are, are from these minority backgrounds? It just doesn't make sense. Right. Well, and, and that's that's encouraging to see, you know, various, uh, you know, immigrant immigrant groups thriving in Canada. I, I know there are some specific issues, and this relates to some of the history in our relationship with Indigenous Canadians. So as we look at at that side uh, of the equation, what, what does your study find? Well, historically, you know, there's no doubt that there's been a lot of discrimination and, and including discriminatory government policies against Indigenous Canadians. And even now you have, um, you know, on reserves, a lot of reserves have a lack of property rights that tends to um, make housing on those reserves worse. Now, if you look at the data, however, um, there's, we also look at the data on the incomes of Indigenous Canadians. Um, Now, if you just look at the population as a whole, it is true that Indigenous Canadians have on average, lower income than non-Indigenous Canadians. But a lot of this is explained for by things like geography. So, for example, um, it's just a fact in Canada that if um, if you live in a very rural uh, part of the country, on average, the incomes are going to be lower than if you live in a big city. So to the extent that Indigenous Canadians are more likely to live in rural areas, that explains some of the income gap. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we also look at Statistics Canada uh, uh, information on the incomes of Indigenous and non-Indigenous, non-Indigenous full-time workers, um, and we compare them by in, uh, by educational attainment. So, for example, if you're an, an Indigenous person and you get a bachelor's degree from the University of Toronto and you take a job somewhere in the city, you're going to make pretty much the same income as a non-Indigenous person who goes to the University of Toronto and takes a job in the city. Um, when, you, when you start doing an apples-for-apples comparison, it's, it's hard to find that there's uh, systemic discrimination. There's also the, you know, the question of how best to address these issues, how best to, to remove barriers to create equality, because uh, a lot of those who, who claim the existence uh, of systemic racism in Canada believe that it, it needs to be a, a government-driven solution. But what, what does your study find? Well, it, it's a historical fact. And in fact, uh, Gary Becker, who is an, a Nobel Prize-winning economist, did a lot of uh, pioneering research in this area on the economics of discrimination. And what he found, and, and what is uh, just common sense and widely accepted among economists today, is that um, discrimination against somebody based on race, for example, or gender, is a competitive disadvantage in the economy. So, for example, if you're a company that refuses to hire people of a certain race, you're going to end up paying more for, for talent. Or if you 
discriminate against customers of a certain race, you're going to lose a lot of business. Um, so what Gary Becker showed is that um, in competitive industries, companies will discriminate less because they'll lose market shares to companies that do not discriminate. And there's a lot of um, evidence that discrimination is more pervasive in um, more um, in, in areas of the economy that, that have higher government involvement and higher regulation. And it's capitalism and free markets that tend to, uh, to mitigate the harmful effects of discrimination. What about other non-economic factors? And I know there are those who say even our leadership class, right, the, the ones who, who decide laws and policy in this country, uh, that visible minority groups have been underrepresented at, at that level. Or if we look at, you know, socioeconomic, I mean, the justice system, for example, or certain groups being overrepresented in the justice system. Are there other aspects of society that, that can help us answer these questions that maybe this, this study didn't look at? Well, there are, but if you take, for example, um, underrepresentation or overrepresentation of certain groups in the parliament, a lot of that is just based on the preferences of people and what occupations they decide to pursue. So, for example, you might find a minority group um, that is underrepresented in Canadians par- in Canada's parliament relative to um, their share of the population, and it might just be that more of those people want to be, for example, doctors or engineers instead of politicians. Um, one, one of the um, sections of the study we look at, for example, um, is, is uh, representation in occupation. And we find, as one example, that Chinese people make up 5% of Canada's working age population, but 8% of doctors and 12% of computing professionals. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if Chinese people are underrepresented in Parliament, but if they are, it may be that they're more interested in becoming doctors than politicians. Let me ask you this, Matthew, and, and I, I mean, this will come up. I don't know if it's irrelevant or even uncouth to, to ask about your own background. I mean, this is radio and uh, listeners can't see either of us, can't see other, the color of our skin. And maybe there should be that, that colorblindness or neutrality in discussing these issues. But of course, to many, there's a sense that you can't really speak to racism unless you've encountered racism, right? You can't understand it unless you come from a certain perspective. You know, I think facts can guide these decisions, and those are objective facts, but what about that side of the conversation? Well, I I would reject the idea that you have to encounter racism in order to speak about it, and and an analogy I would give is, um, you know, do you only trust your doctor to cure you of cancer if your doctor himself has had cancer, and I think the answer is, is very clearly not. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone can try to, um, you know, uh, discuss these issues and look at the facts and look at the data and try to reach a conclusion based on that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, much more at AristotleFoundation.org. The study is called Systemic Racism Claims in Canada, a Fact-Based Analysis. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us here today. Appreciate it. Thank you. All the best. Uh, That is Matthew Lau, Senior Fellow, Analyst with the Aristotle Foundation for Public Policy, AristotleFoundation.org. So it's an interesting look. And the findings, I think, here are pretty encouraging. When you look at uh, life expectancy, when you look at income disparities, uh, all of these things show that uh, minority groups in Canada are, are doing well. It's it's not equal across the board, and maybe there are still some some areas that need to be addressed. But these are encouraging findings. Uh, but but certainly there were those who who maintain that very much Canada is systemically racist. 
And so this study is pushing back on those claims and at least coming to the table with some some evidence to say, well, OK, well, look at all of these, uh, all of this data, uh, because it, it does tell a story. And again, I mean, you know, if you want to Google Matthew Lau, L-A-U, and, you know, decide whether you're going to trust him based on his background or the color of his skin. I mean, if it's relevant, yes, he himself is a member of a visible minority group. But does that make his work any different than if it had been written by by a white person? Or uh, I don't know. Anyway, I think the, the numbers of the data should speak for itself. Uh, you can read more at aristotlefoundation.org. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast. You can also find me on Twitter at Rob Breckenridge. You can email me, rob at 770chqr.com. Talk to you next time.